At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, friends, today we're going to be continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago called The Attitude of a Servant that is walking us through Philippians chapter 2. So far, we have seen that we are to pursue unity in the church by accessing the mind of Christ, uh, something that is available to us because of what Jesus has done for us, but also because of the transforming and maturing work that He is doing in our lives even now. And we've seen that over the first 13 verses of Philippians 2, and today we're going to be in part 3 of this series, looking at Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18, verses that will focus us a little bit more on the mission that Christ wants to work through us in this world. So looking forward to the opportunity to look at those verses together today. But before we look at those verses together, I I want you to just in your mind, imagine your house, wherever you live, the home that you live in, the the rent house that you live in, the apartment, the dorm room, the townhome, the condo, the RV, I don't know where you live, but wherever you live, I want you to imagine it in your brains right now. And then as you imagine that, I, I want you to think about the placement of lights in your house. For many of you, you have moved into your house and you found that there was a dark corner and you've placed a lamp there. You intentionally and strategically got light to place in that dark corner. But even if you have never purchased any lights for your house, someone did. Someone thoughtfully designed your home and not desiring that you dwell in darkness, they scattered electricity and light around to different locations so that it might be illuminated and you might enjoy wherever it is that you live. Now, friends, I want you to imagine that that home that has been strategically and intentionally illuminated, I want you to imagine that while you are here this morning, somebody goes into your house. Now, I have no knowledge that this is going to happen, so no one needs to check your ring camera right now, okay? But let's just imagine that somebody sneaks into your house, and they are equipped with the equipment that is used to tint windows in cars, And they were to go and they take every globe that is covering a light bulb in your house and they put a dark tint on it. And then they take all the light bulbs and they wrap them in a a dark tint. So that when you go home today and you intend to turn on the lights to illuminate your house in this dark and cloudy afternoon, it's not as bright as you intended it to be. Now, what would be your reaction Well, you probably would wonder, what's wrong? It's supposed to be brighter than this. And so you would begin to investigate, and you would find the problems, and you would begin to remove that tent so that it might shine forth in all of its brilliance. And if somebody was intentionally sabotaging your house, you would be not only, you know, confused, but you also would be concerned that someone would do such a thing to light that was intended and strategically placed for a task so important. Now, friends, I I tell you that story today, again, not because I think anybody is actually going to do that at your house, but I tell you that story today because I see a parallel to that idea in what we see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. You see, this world in which we live is a dark 
world, isn't it? It's dark. It's sinful. It's broken. It's challenged. And it's not just broken and challenged in a few places. It's broken and challenged everywhere we look. As we have gone through this year, we have been given many, many reminders of the brokenness and the darkness of the world around us. Now, here's the thing. Into this dark world, what is the attitude and the perspective of our God? Well, our God desires to illuminate the darkness. And so, strategically and intentionally, God set out a mission to light this world. And we saw earlier in chapter 2 that 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 mission took the form of, of Jesus humbling himself into the form of a servant and coming and dwelling among us. And for 33 years, he illuminated, he radiated the light of God so that people might not be confused about who God is, but they might know who God is. They might be able to see him in the flesh. But not only did he illuminate God through his, through his life, but ultimately he also went to the cross to die in our place so that we might be forgiven and so that we might have an opportunity to have a relationship with God as well. And so God's plan to illuminate the dark world in which we live was to send his son to die on the cross and to raise from the grave. But, but after Jesus did this, he ascended to heaven. And so how is Jesus lighting this world that we live in right now? Given the darkness that is around us, what is God's plan to strategically illuminate our world? Well, friends, his plan is to use you and to use me. Just like we might place a lamp in a dark corner, so the sovereign Son of God has placed you where He has placed you, and He has placed me where He has placed me, that we might illuminate the world in which we live. Now, friends, we see all of this laid out for us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, as we're going to see a call to the mission that God has set forth in the world and the mission that he wants to work through you and me. And this morning, we're going to look at these five verses together. And and as we look at them, we're going to make two observations that will help us know how we might exhibit the attitude of a servant as we follow Christ on mission together today. So I want to read these verses for us. And then after I read them, we're going to back up and make a couple of observations today. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes and says this. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, friends, in those five verses, we're going to see a couple of things today that will help us know how we might have the attitude of the servant as well. What's the first thing that we see? The first thing that we see is this call that we are to shine as lights. We are to shine as lights in the world. Again, we we see this very clearly inside of the verses that I just read. After encouraging us and 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, to access the mind of Christ and to pursue unity within the church by living out our lives in humility with one another. In verses 14 through 18, we, we have this call for us to shine as lights. We see that explicitly laid out in the second part of verse 15, when he says that we are to shine as lights in the world. Now, we'll talk in just a moment what we mean by shining as light, but let's think for this moment about why we have to shine as lights. The reason why we have to shine as lights is because the world in which we live is dark. Paul describes it as a crooked and a twisted generation, a dark world. And he doesn't say that we have to go look for it. Paul doesn't say, hey, there are really dark and desperate nooks and crannies and corners of this world. Paul says, this world that you live in, the world that you are in the midst of, the world that is everywhere is dark, it's crooked, and it's twisted. You know, sometimes from our perspective, we might say that there is a a dark or a crooked and a twisted world that is happening in, in some foreign culture that is not following our God, that is calling God a different name or worshiping in a different way. But the reality is we cannot relegate the darkness of the world to some faraway shore. There is a dark world that exists there, but there's also a dark world that exists here. We're living in the midst of it. Paul describes it as a crooked and a twisted generation. In the original language, the words behind crooked and twisted are the words from which we get our word scoliosis. Someone in your family may have suffered from this. It's when there's a curvature of a spine that is otherwise supposed to be straight, and when it's curved, it it causes pain because it's not supposed to move in that direction. And so correction needs to be brought. Paul writes and says that this world in which we live is not following a straight path towards God, but it is twisting and turning of its own volition, causing in pain and darkness for all the inhabitants of this world. Rather than than looking to God and and receiving revelation of who God is and, and worshiping Him for who He is and as He's revealed in Scripture, instead people have recreated God in their own image, making Him as they would want to make Him. Rather than receiving the ethics of God as revealed by God in Scripture, instead we have made the ethics whatever we want to make them, to make us happy, not as an opportunity to serve others and consider them as more important than ourselves. We think take something like the sexual ethics of our day and we make it about whatever feels right or good to us, not as God created sex to be lived out between a husband and a wife. Friends, there are so many examples that we could think of inside of our world today where the straight path of God has been crooked or twisted, and it's resulted in a a dark world that is confused. There's a fog that exists all around us. And so into this, this dark world, into this fog, into this confusion, God loves us and wants to light our way. Just like if you were to go home in the middle of the dark, and if there are no lights in your house, you might stub your toe a few times. It might be painful to try to wander around in the darkness. You would want to turn a light on. The God who loves you has wanted to turn lights on around you to guide your path. So how has he done that? Well, he's done that by shining as light 
through us. I mentioned earlier that Jesus made this possible by coming into the world and living his life as an example and then dying on the cross for our sins. But what's fascinating to me in this section is he doesn't say that Jesus is the light. He says that you are to shine as lights. And this is consistent with what we saw last week in verses 12 and 13. You see, if we have trusted in Christ, then Christ has moved into our lives and his Holy Spirit is inside of us. It is working inside of us. We saw last week in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul says that it is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Jesus has come inside of us. So we might think of our lives like lanterns, lanterns that need a light source inside of it. If we have trusted in Christ, then his candle, his torch, his flame has been placed inside of us to shine through us to light the darkness around us. And we have been scattered around this city, around this state, around this country, and even around the world so that his light might illuminate every dark corner around us. This is the plan that God has for us. But but how do we do that? How is it that we light up this world? How is it that Christ's light shines forth from us? Well, he gives us a clue at the end or the beginning of verse 16. He says that we are to hold fast to the word of life. By the word of life, he is referring to Jesus, but also to the words that Jesus shared. Notice that The way of Jesus and the direction of Scripture is talked about not just as words, but as words of life, at the way to live true life, about the way to to live in the light and not in the dark. Friends, we have been called to to live that out. First of all, he says that we're called to, to hold it fast. Now, I love that little word, hold fast. Because in the original language, it actually can be translated one of two ways. It can either be translated hold fast, or it can be translated hold forth. Same word can be translated two different ways, depending on the context. To hold fast means to hold on to something tightly. To hold forth is to hold it out to light the way for someone else. And I think in this context, Paul actually is accessing both definitions. I think that what he is saying is hold firm to the truth, hold firm to the ethic of Christ, hold firm to the teaching of Scripture, but not just hold firm to this yourselves, but also live your life in a public enough way so that others might have their way illuminated by us. This is God's plan for lighting the darkness around us. He wants to light it through you, and he wants to light it through me. But why do we not do that? If his plan is to shine his light, why is there so much darkness in the world around us? Well, I think that we see some hints inside of these verses. And I think it has to do not with the quality of the bulb inside of us, but it has to do with our sin, which is the tent on the lantern of our lives. See, inside of these verses, we see some admissions of the kinds of sin that would obscure the light of Christ shining forth freely around us. What are those things that are mentioned? The first thing that we see mentioned is 
right here, and he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I, I think this is a, an interesting phrase that, that he mentions here, because this idea of grumbling and disputing seems to be something that would prevent the shining of the light of Christ. Now, where is the root to this idea of grumbling or disputing? Well, as we'll see in a moment, in a number of different places in these verses, there are allusions to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, in verse 5. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt and it headed towards the promised land, they spent a lot of time grumbling and disputing. I mean, God parted the ocean so that they could walk through it and enter the promised land. But when they got there, they began to complain. They began to say things like this, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Yeah, we were slaves, but man, they, they had some cool stuff there. I mean, this is a desert over here. That's a civilization back there. God, where are you taking us? They were grumbling and disputing. God was providing for them supernaturally food to eat, but they're like, God, over here, all we have is manna. What even is manna? And why do we have to eat it every day? Back there, we had pineapples and papayas and and meat and all these wonderful things. Over here, we just have manna. God, what are you doing? They were grumbling and they were complaining. Not only were they saying things like that, they might have been saying, you know, hey, back in Egypt, we can make smoothies. But out here, we just have to drink water from rocks. Have you ever had water from a rock? It's not very tasty. They were spending their time grumbling and complaining. And just as happened with the Israelites, God delayed their entry into the promised land because he said, hey, your role, your job is to be a canvas on which my greatness can shine. And if all you're going to do is grumble and complain, you're not demonstrating yourselves to be my children. And so he kept them in the wilderness for a time of discipline longer. And friends, if we spend our lives today grumbling and complaining about our lives and our system, then we will be putting a tent of sin over the light of Christ. We will be ultimately pushing people away and not drawing them to us. You ever been around somebody that all they want to do is grumble and complain? How attractive is that? You don't want to be around them, much less their God. Paul makes that connection in these verses. And he wants to remind the Philippians, he said, Philippians, don't spend your time complaining. Why does my apostle have to be imprisoned? How come he can't be here with us? He used to give great sermons, and now he's in prison in Rome. And what are you doing, God? Why is it that we have to live in this time and this era? Why are we experiencing persecution? Paul says, don't spend your time grumbling and complaining. Instead, spend your time shining. If we spend our time grumbling and complaining, we are tinting the lens of our lantern rather than shining forth the glory of God. And friends, the same thing could be said of us. If we spend our time grumbling and complaining about all the things we don't like, all the things that aren't working our way, all the the ways in which our church isn't doing it the way that we want to do it, all the ways in which our society is broken and we're irritated with it, if we spend all of our time grumbling and complaining, we will not be shining forth the light of Christ. Paul writes and says that they are to shine and they are not to cover that up with their grumbling and their complaining. 
He wants them instead to live a life that is blameless and innocent, be children of God and without blemish. Friends, this is not a call that Paul is is saying to them, hey, I want you to be perfect because he understood that they would still sin and fall short. But what he's saying is, I want you to live your life in a consistent enough public witness that your behavior does not prove to be a tent or distraction or dim to the gospel message that's going out. When you sin and you fall short, confess that sin and move on, but hold fast and hold forth the word of life to others. Don't get in the way. That seems to be Paul's idea in these verses. Now, where did Paul get this idea? He didn't get it just from his own mind. Ultimately, he got it from the mind of Christ. Jesus said to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, the light that Jesus has has placed inside of us is intended to shine forth in the world around us. Do not cover it up with our selfish and sinful attitudes, our grumbling and our complaining, our disputing and our lives that might take the focus off of Christ. But instead, let us live our lives in a way that His light can shine forth from us. And so the question then becomes, will we shine? Will we shine? Well, a few questions to help us drive this home in terms of application. When we think about shining His light, the first thing, recognize that the dark is not new. Recognize that the dark is not new. The crooked and the twisted generation is not new. Well, we live in an age where we want to say that this is unique, that this is novel, that this has never happened before. I probably have even said things like that from the front because my experience of this present reality seems as dark as I can remember in my life. It seems as challenged as I can remember. But when I look biblically, I'm reminded that the world has been messed up for a long time. Hadn't it? It's been messed up for a very long time. That phrase, crooked and twisted generation, you know where Paul got it? He got it from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse 5. In Deuteronomy 32, 5, Paul says that that generation that was living at that time was a crooked and a twisted generation. That was well over a 1,000 years before the time when Paul wrote this, and we live now 2,000 years after that. When does the crooked and the twisted generation exist? It has existed since the fall of mankind in the garden. Therefore, friends, we should not be surprised by it, but we also shouldn't take an attitude that says, I'm going to wait this out. You know, it's tempting for us to say, you know what? When 2020 rolls around, it's going to be better, right? I mean, it can't be worse than 2020. We, we passed the exchange policy on 2020. We, we can't wait for 2021. It's going to get better in 2021. But the reality is when we get to 2021, if Christ has not returned, we're still going to be living in a crooked and a twisted generation. We can't wait it out. Thousands of years it has existed. Therefore, we need to understand that we have been sovereignly placed by God to shine as his light right now. Let me ask you, do you think God knows what he's doing? I think he does. I think you do too. Then why is it that we question 
this reality. God's plan for lighting the darkness in the world around you is through you. He wants you to be the bulb to shine into that corner of your neighborhood, into your family, among your friends, on your teams, and ultimately even around the world. We've recently, in just the last month, seen members from Wildwood move to the Middle East to help be a part of gospel expansion ministry there. Why did they go? They went because the light was needed in a dark place. Why is it that Chase and Julie Russell years ago moved to Nicaragua and participated with One by One in order to take the gospel to that area? It's because it was a dark corner of the world that needed light. Just like your corner of the world needs light, every corner of the world needs light. So we share that light here and now, and we share that light everywhere that we go, even intentionally and strategically taking steps to get the gospel there. Into this crooked and twisted generation, we shine as his light. And we need to remember that we can't light the past, but we must light the present. Again, think about this. A sovereign God who answers to no one could have placed you at any time and at any season. But he chose to place you at this time and in this season. We are not called to illuminate 1960 or 1860 or 60 A.D., But we are called to be Christ's light to illuminate this era. God has intentionally and strategically placed you where you are, that through you, as you hold forth and hold fast to the gospel message, that his light might be known in the darkness around us. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, It's not by leaving the world, but by ministering to it, that we see God's purpose fulfilled in our lives. So will we hold fast the word, stay committed to the message of the gospel, stay committed not just to knowing it, but also to living it and to living it in a public way that others might find their way to Christ as well, both in our words and in our deeds, as Jesus said, that people might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Friends, We have been called by God to shine as lights, and we see that in verses 14 through 16. But there's a second thing that we are called to do inside of these verses that we must not miss, and that second thing is this, rejoice in the faith of others. Rejoice in the faith of others. In other words, there is something that you and I are to celebrate, and it's not just us. We're to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others. Now, where do we see that? Well, first of all, let's remember the context. Back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul understands that as they access the mind of Christ, they will not be selfish, but they will look to lift up those around them. Now, this was not just an idea that, that Paul you know, had said just as, a, as some kind of sentiment, but it actually was the way that he was living his life and the way that he was conducting his ministry. And we see that begin to lay out in the last parts of verse 16, because Paul says there, he says, as he talks about them shining as lights, he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, Paul says here, he says, when I look back on my life, 
There will be something that will be missing if you do not persist in faith, if you do not hold fast to the word of life, if you do not shine as Christ's light in this generation. Paul says there will be something that will be missing. I will feel as though my ministry has been in vain, that I have labored in vain. Paul didn't say, you know what, I'm good because I did everything I could do. Paul said, what I'm really after is I'm after you trusting in God, even as I did. And I'm after your faith being exhibited in this world. So Paul says, don't bring this disappointment upon me. Remain true. Hold fast. Don't tint your lens. Let the gospel shine forth. Now, lest we think that we just plucked that idea randomly from verse 16, he continues that statement in that tone throughout verses 17 and 18. In those verses, he talks about something to rejoice. Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, there is something that I am celebrating. There is a reason for my joy. There is something that I am cheering about. Well, what is it? What was it that Paul was cheering about in this moment? Well, friends, like me, you may have read these verses and come to a different conclusion that I'm getting ready to lay out. When I first read these verses, I anticipated the reason why Paul was rejoicing was because of his personal participation in the gospel, that he was rejoicing in his sacrifice that he was willing to make on Christ's behalf. And I got that because at the beginning of verse 17, he says this, He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Paul makes a reference to his personal sacrifice in ministry. Now, when when I put that up there, you might wonder, what is he talking about being poured out? Well, biblical scholars have debated what that phrase actually means. Uh, Some believe that it is referring to all of the sacrifices that Paul made, all the activity he had as an apostle that led to hardships imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and snake bites and all the things that he went through. Some see it as a more of a a broad understanding of the sufferings he had as an apostle, as as if to say, you know, hey, my, my life has been poured out in that I have endured these sufferings over time. Others see this referring more specifically to his impending martyrdom, his being killed because of his faith in Christ. And the large reason for believing that is is found by looking at how Paul uses this same phrase in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, where he clearly is talking about his martyrdom as he says that his life is poured out as a drink offering. Whatever it is, either of those things, the, the general idea is the same. Paul is making a reference here to his ministry, and he refers to it as a drink offering. And so again, we might say, well, doesn't it look like then... The reason why he's rejoicing is his personal involvement. Well, the reason why I don't think he's ultimately referring to that is because of what he says next. He says, even as I am poured out as a drink offering, but then he continues, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Now, in order for us to really understand this, we need to understand the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system. As a part of their time of worship, they would often bring animals to sacrifice. 
And there would be a central piece to that sacrifice, like a lamb on Passover, that would be prepared and would be offered as a sacrifice before God and then would be set on fire. And as that offering was placed before God and lit on fire, then they would offer a drink offering alongside it. They would take wine or something like that and pour it over the top. Now, the the purpose of that drink offering is not quite known, though it can be surmised that it possibly was just to create some steam that would go up with the offering as it's poured on that very hot fire. In other words, there was a central offering, the animal that was being sacrificed, and then there was a drink offering that was added on top of it just for effect. It would be as if that there is a main course and then there is a side dish. Paul says, as I think about everything that is going on right now, there's a reason to rejoice. And that reason to rejoice is not, Paul says, what I have done, but it's what you have done. The, 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 the big offering is your faith, Philippians. It's your sacrifice. It's your service. That's what I'm celebrating. Paul says, I'm, I'm willing to have my life added as, as just the cherry on that Sunday of celebration of what God is doing in your life and what he's doing through you in this age. What Paul saw as a reason to celebrate was the faith of the Philippians. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. What a, what a humble thing for Paul to do. I mean, Paul is the one who would endure incredible hardships. Paul was the one who would write half of the New Testament. But what is Paul celebrating in that moment? He didn't say, hey, you guys need to recognize my apostledom. And we need to have a party that's the Paul party. No. He says, we are going to celebrate in this moment your faith, your service, and your sacrifice. Friends, if Paul can do that, can we not do that as well? Sometimes we serve, and we go into the class to teach, and we teach our lesson, and we, we want people to tell us what a good job we did as if the goal of our service was a celebration of our service. But when we read passages like this, we're reminded that the goal of our service is the faith response of others. And if we remember that, then that is what we should celebrate. Friends, think about this. If you are are teaching, some of you uh, have just walked out of a classroom that you have taught, whether it's kids or students or adults, this morning already, or you're going to be leading a small group this week, here's what I want to challenge you with. I want you this week, I want you just to rejoice in the faith of others. I want you to go all the way to celebrate the faith of another this week. What that means is if you are in class and and you've prepared and you've worked this through, but somebody in the back raises their hand and they say, I see this in this passage, that you don't go, that's really nice what you saw. Let me get back to what I saw. Here's what I want you to do teacher of class, I want you to run down the aisle and I want you to say, that is awesome. And then they're going to be really uncomfortable. And you can tell them that Mark said to do this. But I just want us to celebrate the faith of another. See, all too often in the church, we look at each other and we say, I want to critique you so that I feel better about myself. Or we come together and we want others to see our faithfulness so that they might celebrate it. But wouldn't you want to be a part of a church that gathered together and instead of 
gathering together, promoting themselves? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church that gathered together and was celebrating the faith they saw in each other? That somebody shares a prayer request and it's not like, that's nice. I'm glad that you have to pray for that. Instead, they go, what a statement of faith. In this hard issue of your life, you're wanting to bring this before the Lord. Praise God for that faith that you're exhibiting. Let's gather around you and pray in that moment. Celebrate the faith that you've seen. Parents with your kids, don't bemoan what they're not doing this week, but celebrate their faith. Don't think about all that they haven't done, but when you see them trust in Christ, when you see them lean in his direction, celebrate that moment. Drive a stake in the ground. Cheer when you see it. As you gather in, around tables for lunch or dinner this week, as you see and you hear faith being exhibited by those around you, don't let it go unnoticed. But celebrate that faith. Friends, we all want to be a part of the church like that. And the way we get there is by being the church like that. It's not a mystery. Paul modeled it for us. Jesus modeled it for us that we would have the attitude of a servant, that we would celebrate the faith of another as we shine as his lights in the world. Father God, thank you so much for just the opportunity to open your word and look at it today. Thank you for the encouragement that we have seen there. Father, I pray that we would not dim the, the, the lens of the lantern, but we would repent of our sin. We would seek to hold firm and hold fast to this gospel message as we shine it and share it with others. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the faith that you are growing in the lives of those around us, that that we might celebrate that faith in them, even as you have celebrated that faith in us. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 